here. It's good to see a, a bigger crowd here this morning. I was seriously worried last week that nobody was ever going to come back again. So I guess it was the time change. So thanks for coming out this morning. This stand is not cooperating anyway. I'll leave that there. And um, it's good to see you all. And uh, I want to welcome you here this morning to uh, Willow Park Church. And uh, our ushers are going to take up the offering right now for us. And uh, while uh, they're going uh, uh, about the congregation doing that, I'll just go through a couple of uh, uh, notices here. I want to encourage you still to, to participate in the 21 days of prayer, particularly as we're drawing to the end of that series. Uh, we're into the final week now. Today, uh, today's prayer item is leaders. And um, I would encourage you to pray for our leaders, particularly Glenn and Sarah. Um, Pastor Phil and Michelle Collins and our Board of Elders and those others that lead our, our youth uh, and our Sunday school ministries. Um, we have three elders in our own congregation here. We have John Casorso, uh, we have Brad Gay and um, uh, Chris Robinson. I think he's, uh, he's out in the, uh, uh, doing the coffee today. But a good opportunity to remember these men today uh, who serve us as leaders uh, in our community. Um, some of the uh, news, um, a lot of the youth, uh, your own children may be on the LA trip uh, this week, so we should pray for them. Um, they made it to Portland or Oregon uh, yesterday, and they're, I guess they're heading south through Oregon and down into Northern California today. But just uh, continue to pray that they'll have a really good time, that they'll be uh, free of any sickness, and that uh, they'll be safe as they travel on the roads, and particularly as they work down on Skid Row amongst the, the homeless there. Let's really pray um, that they will uh, uh, have a really good time there and um, that they will see something of Jesus in all they do there. Now this morning, a little bit of body news here, it's Amber's birthday. Where is Amber? Is she here? Oh, here she is. She's walking up. Amber, Amber, would it be 21? Yeah? Oh, congratulations. Now, uh, in, in Britain, 21 is a big birthday, so um, I, I guess if we wanted to be really mean, we could get John DeSorso and Grant Delcourt to come up the front here and toss you in the air and give you 21 bucks. But we won't do that, okay? We won't do that. We'll let you off. So congratulations, Amber, and happy birthday. I hope you have a great day. So, uh, yeah. Now, in case you're wondering why there isn't a lot of laughter coming from the left-hand side, my right-hand side this morning, um, for those of you who weren't here last week, um, Dave and Elin are in China. For, well, Dave's going to be there for four months, and uh, Elin's going to be there for, for about two weeks. I'm really going to miss them um, for one other reason, that whenever you crack a joke, Elin is the first to laugh. So um, the other thing is she laughs louder than I do, and I laugh the second loudest on that side. So I'm going to apologize in advance for the next few weeks until she's back. You're going to hear my raucous laugh, particularly when Glenn is back over there. And I'm sorry if it disturbs you, but it's just... Uncontrollable Nothing I can do about it. But uh, Dave has taken up a position um, with the BC schools, I believe, uh, as a principal uh, for a school in China there. So this is a great opportunity to, to, for him. It came at very short notice. And um, so they jumped on a plane, I think it was Thursday last week. So we prayed for them last week. Um, so in case you, you weren't here last week and wondering where they are over the next few weeks, that's where they are, they're in, they're in China. So um, I don't know if there's any other announcements I should make, anything else that um, uh, you need can be found in the bulletin here. Uh, thank you, Laura. Um, children, you can go out to, to Sunday school now and um, uh, 
as you go, we will pray for you. Let's pray for our service this morning. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you uh, that you are the God who reigns forever. And Father, we thank you that you are the supreme, sovereign God. And as we open your word this morning, Father, we, may, we pray that we might see something of your power, of your justice, of your righteousness, of your love and mercy, Father. But more than that, Father, we, we pray that we would see something of the Lord Jesus Christ, the precious Lamb of God who has given as our atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so, Father, as the children go out into the Sunday school now, we pray your blessing upon their young lives. The Lord, as, as they are taught, we just pray that they would learn things of you which will pay dividends in their, in their later years, Father. As they recall these true stories in your word, uh, Father, we pray that it might give them strength and wisdom as they grow up into adults. We pray for their teachers, Father. We just pray uh, that your hand of blessing would be on them this morning. Father, we commit this service to you now, and we just ask that you would speak through us, uh, uh, through the words that I have to say, Father. I, I just pray that um, as we open your word, we might see something of Jesus. In your wonderful and precious name, we pray these things. Amen. For those of you who weren't here last week, I've, I've been given two weeks to speak. This is my second week. And uh, we've been looking at a two-part series um, from Exodus chapter 11 and 12, which I've entitled Pictures from the Passover. And uh, we're, we're just coming into uh, week two of that now. And um, it's quite a timely, uh, a good time of year to actually do this. We're the middle of uh, March, and um, uh, Easter comes early this year. Uh, it's the weekend of the 5th of April. We will be celebrating Easter Sunday together, hopefully. And so as we go through these two chapters, um, uh, I, I would encourage you to, to look at them. If, uh, if you missed last week, the message is up on, uh, uh, on, on the post-Sunday content. But more than that, just... It's a good preparation for our hearts as we look forward to what the Lord Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, has done for us as we celebrate Easter in early April. So turn with me please to Exodus chapter 12. There are quite a few readers this morning and um, I would encourage you to, if you have a Bible, to leave a finger in uh, Exodus chapter 12 as well as we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 1 as well. So let us, let us read a, a few verses here from, from Exodus chapter 12. Familiar verses. It says this, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in, in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person will eat. The animal you choose must be your old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats, Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it until morning. 
If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This morning again, we will be dealing with the whole theme of the Lord's Passover. Last, last week, we looked at the central theme, the blood of the Lamb. And this morning, we will be looking more specifically at the Passover meal and drawing the parallel uh, with two subjects. Firstly, the communion service. And we, you'll, you'll see that we have communion here this morning. We will be taking communion later, the Lord's Supper or the Remembrance Service. And secondly, we will look at the, the pilgrim's journey or the, or the Christian life. We said last week that some of the things that the Bible reveals to us about God are hard for us to accept. And by hard to, to, to accept, I don't mean hard to understand, but sometimes things which are revealed about God in the scripture don't fall into the plan of what we believe God is like. Last week, more specifically, we looked at how God judged one nation in order to work his, his purposes and redeem his people and other nations. We looked at certain attributes, certain things about God which are true. That's what an attribute is. We looked at the justice and righteousness, particularly in the context of Egypt, this world superpower, which had set itself up against God. And in contrast to that, we looked at God's love and mercy and, and, and how it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And judgment is God's justice confronting moral iniquity. That's what judgment is. It, it, it's God's justice confronting sin. In contrast, mercy is the goodness of God confronting human suffering and guilt. God has always been merciful towards mankind and will always deal injustice when his mercy is rejected. Now this might sound all very intellectual and clever, it's not my ideas. Um, a book I would highly recommend all of you getting hold of, particularly young men and women in the audience here, is a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. I make it a purpose to try and read this book every year. I've got good and bad news about the book. Uh, the bad news is it doesn't have any pictures. Okay, the good news is it's only 122 pages long and it's about 23 chapters. Now it's not the type of book you just pick up and read cover to cover. Now having said that, the author wrote it in a day. A.W. Tozer was a complete recluse. Uh, he was a mighty preacher, he wasn't a great pastor, he certainly wasn't a great husband and dad. He used to disappear for days on end and people would wonder where he was. One day he disappeared on a train and he left Chicago, and goodness knows where he went, but he wrote this book in a day. He was a man that pursued God hard, hard in his life. He really knew God. He made it his purpose to know God. 
and he wrote this wonderful book, and I would encourage you, if you get a chance, to read it. I was really pleased to find it on my son's desk when I went to look for it on the bookshelf the other day. He's reading it at the moment, so no, you can't have my copy because it's a little too precious to me. But anyway, if you want to grab a really good book, a really good book on the attributes and the person and the work of God, I would really highly recommend that for you. And one of the things he points out in that book is there is a danger in our theology that if we major in on certain things, we will do so at the expense of others. So for example, if we, if we major in on God's justice and righteousness, it will automatically lead us down a path of legalism unless we balance it off with God's mercy, grace, and love. And likewise, if we go down a, a path which is only in our theology, mercy, grace, and love, and don't look at justice and righteousness, we will become liberal in our theology. These are important things, particularly even in our, our own denomination at the moment. Um, I've spoken here before about the subject of penal substitutionary atonement. What, does, what on earth does that mean? Penal substitutionary atonement. It's simply this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. Do you know that theology is being challenged even amongst our own uh, Mennonite denomination at the moment? It might be a small few, but a very vocal few that are turning around and saying, well, did Jesus really have to die for our sins? Did Jesus really have to rise again from the dead? Subtle, isn't it? It's all about personal relationship with Jesus. We don't need these other things. But what does the Apostle Paul say? He says, if these things aren't true in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we are of all men most pitied. And so these things are under challenge in our day and age. And so it's important that we, we know God, that we understand God and, and what he has revealed about himself in the scriptures. Are we, are we trusting that Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ has revealed in the scriptures. Because this is where this starts to fall apart. People say, well, it's all about relationship. Well, I have a relationship with Jesus. In North America, it's obvious who you're talking about. I bet, John, down in Mexico, if you walked into a bar, I don't trust you never did, but I, and you stood up and said, hi, I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm sure about 10 guys would stand up and go, hey, I'm Jesus, or however you say it. So, so the question is, which Jesus do you have a relationship with? Is it, the, is it the Jesus that's revealed in the Old Testament? Or is it some fluffy, cuddly toy Jesus that we like to stick by our mantle place at night and cuddle? Which Jesus are we believing in? And so it's important that as we look at these chapters, some, sometimes it's hard for us to accept what God reveals about himself, but it's true. And we must balance these attributes of justice and righteousness with God's love, mercy, and grace. Remember that last week we spent quite a lot of time looking at the ten plagues. And we asked the question, were these plagues necessary? Why did God send them just in case we thought that they were unnecessary? And what we found was this, God had to do something. God had to intervene. Here was this ungodly, defiant man called Pharaoh who stood and declared in Exodus chapter 2 verse 5, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, 
nor will I let Israel go. And so God answered him. He said, you want to know who I am? Well, I'm going to show you. And bang, bang, bang. These mighty, destructive plagues came on this great superpower nation of Egypt. And so we saw the necessity of the judgments that were sent. Firstly, to shake us and remind us that there is a God. Secondly, these smaller judgments we saw were, were, were just foreshadows of this great judgment that would come, the tenth plague. And lastly, we saw that these plagues were redemptive. You see, the Bible teaches us that Pharaoh had every opportunity to turn and repent. We looked at some of the plagues, the blood, the frogs. It says his heart was hard. Even his magicians were able to, to reproduce these plagues. But then we got the gnats and the flies, and all the time it's starting to get a little bit more unpleasant for this nation. And, and, and his own magicians come to him and they go, excuse me, we can't duplicate this miracle. We think this is the finger of God. That's what they said. And still his heart was hard. And then we saw the plague on the livestock and the boils, and by now it's starting to get really personal and uncomfortable. And still, his heart is hard. And God hadn't given him every opportunity to repent. Surely there was enough warning. And instead of flattening this man and destroying him immediately, God stepped in and further hardened his heart, caused him to stand defiant to the end, as a vessel of wrath, as a warning exhibition, as a beacon light to those nations around him. It says this in Romans chapter 9, for scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Could Pharaoh have found forgiveness with God? Yes, he could have, if he had turned and repented. But God knew that he would never repent, that he never would turn, his heart was hard, and so he stepped in and further hardened his heart so that he could make him a warning exhibition to all those nations around. Was that warning successful? Yes, it was. We turned to Joshua, and we saw Rahab, the harlot, who, the, 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 the woman who shouted those spies. And in that conversation, she says, we heard what your God did to Pharaoh and Egypt. There was fear there, and, and because of that, because of the judgment of that one nation, this woman finds God. Not only finds God, she becomes an ancestress of the Lord Jesus Christ. Care group leaders this week, if you want to turn to another good one, Joshua chapter 9, the Gideonite, Gibeonite deception. It's a little further on in the story. Uh, uh, Joshua has led the children of Israel into the promised land. They've, um, they've crossed the Jordan. They've defeated Jericho. There's been the mishap at Ai, and they've sorted that out. And now the kings of the Northern Confederation and the Southern Confederation, they're coming to war against the, the armies of God, against the armies of Israel. And one of the countries there, the Gibeonites, they deceive Joshua. Read it. Joshua chapter 9. Read it this week. Care, good care group questions there. You tell me that God did not intend to save these people who should have died. And not only did he save them, do you look at the position that he gave them within Israel, and then you tell me my God is not a merciful and loving God. 
And so we can see that all of God's purposes, all of his dealings with nations are for a purpose. God is a God of purpose. And although there are many things that we find hard to understand, God always has a purpose. Many things in the scriptures, as we said, are not easy to understand. Many things that God chooses to reveal about himself are, are difficult for us to accept. Some things are unpalatable and we would prefer to put them aside as we feel that they might, might be out of character with God. But God reveals what he is like and what he does in his word. And especially here in Exodus chapter 5 through 12, when we see the ferocity of God's judgment on this civilization, these mighty, massive, destructive judgments on Egypt that make me, as I read it, catch my breath. We again need to remind ourselves that nothing God does is without a purpose. And as we read the passage, we see that God's purpose in the midst of these terrible judgments is to bring out a people. He's going to redeem a nation. He is the God of redemption. He is the redeeming God. He's, the He's a God who wants to make people his own. And that's the only reason why the world exists today. Here we are. I woke up this morning really early and I fell back to sleep and got woken up a little later by my alarm clock. Here we are this morning, March 15th, 2015. Now there will only be a March 16th, 2015 because God has a purpose. This world will only continue because God is calling out a people. From all around this world, there are people from every race, every nation, every tribe being brought into the people of God. And that's the only reason the world goes on. I've got plans this afternoon. Let me ask you a question. What are your plans for today? I'm looking forward to my plans later on, Laura and I. Gonna, it's been busy two weeks. We want to go out and spend a couple of hours together. We'll go for a drive, maybe go for a walk, maybe grab a coffee somewhere. I'm looking forward to those plans. What are your plans for today? What are you planning to do? Let me say this. One more day, because there are still others to be brought into God's kingdom. And that might sound unkind to many. Today isn't existing so that I can go out on a date with Laura. Today only exists because there are still others who are being brought into the kingdom of God. And that statement certainly doesn't capture the spirit of the age in which we live. But, but, but that is what the scriptures reveal about God. One more day because there are still others to be saved. And nothing will stop him doing that. And he will do anything to bring about that aim as we have already seen. And so last week we saw the importance of the blood of the Lamb. If they were going to escape this terrible, destructive plague that was going to come, they had to take a lamb, didn't they? It had to be a male lamb. A lamb in its prime, it had to be a year old. A lamb without any imperfection on it, without any spot or, spot or blemish. It had to be absolutely perfect. And after four days of having that lamb or that goat in the house, they were to slaughter it. And they were to sprinkle some of the blood on the sides of the door, on the top of the doorpost, the doorframe. And when the angel of death came, death would not go into that house, would it? When the angel of death came and it was striking this house and it was striking that house, when God visited that home, he would not go in. Why? Because death had already been there. And that blood showed that this little innocent lamb had been taken and it had been slaughtered and the blood had been applied and hence God would not visit that place with death twice. And we could see so clearly last week that all of this was pointing us towards the blood of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin 
that makes us right with God, that brings us peace with God. I didn't touch on it last week, but in verse 38 of chapter 12, it says this, many other people went up with him. You see, this message wasn't only for the Jew, it wasn't only for the nation of Israel, but it was for all who would believe. And I'm sure that there were others from other nations living in Goshen in that time. Maybe even some Egyptians that saw this and listened to Pharaoh and said, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to apply the blood. I'm going to go into one of those homes. I'm going to shelter behind the blood of the Lamb. And it says there, many other people went up with them. God is a God of mercy. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so as we come back to Exodus chapter 12, uh, there is uh, one, one more aspect of this that I want to look at with you, and that's the, the Passover with you. And, and it's this event, when we come to Exodus chapter 12, it says this, it's to be celebrated as a lasting ordinance, and it's the Lord's Passover. And it's here that we see so clearly New Testament communion foreshadowed. So let us read again Exodus chapter 12, verses 7 to 11. It should come up on the screen behind you. It says this, Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. And this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And so we're going to see the significance of the Passover meal. It was a roast lamb meal. Do you like roast lamb, any of you? Anybody like roast lamb? I love roast lamb. In Britain, when we were growing up, we had that whole mad cow thing going on. And so everybody ate lamb. And, and as I said last week, if you were brought up in Wales, there's more sheep than there are people. So you see sheep everywhere. So there's this Welsh lamb, and it's really, really good. And so we were brought up on this culture of eating a lot of lamb. Um, in, the, in the last church we were at, Laura and I read, led the youth group there for a little while, and um, uh, there was this one guy there, and he was a, a converted Jew, and he decided that one week he was going to do, at Passover time, that he was going to do this roast lamb meal for us, and uh, he did it up at Morningstar Bible Campaign, actually, and um, Laura and I, we went there with the youth, and he prepared this beautiful Passover meal, and he was going to bring all of the imagery of this chapter 12 to life in this meal for us. I remember we sat down, and there was this beautiful roast lamb, and it was covered in herbs and juices, and Laura and I were simply salivating, because we haven't, uh, it was years ago, it was back in the late 90s, we hadn't, I don't think we'd had lamb since we'd emigrated from the UK, and all the, all the kids there, they hated lamb, they were like, oh, gross, and Laura and I were just tucking into this, this roast lamb meal, but uh, I love roast lamb, and it was the lamb meal that was central, and so after slaughtering the lamb, after they had applied the blood, they were to take this roast lamb, and they were to eat it, and so uh, the same lamb which provided pardon for their sin was now going to provide them with nourishment by its flesh. It was God's provision for these people, for their strengthening and for their nourishment. And so the lamb was to be roasted. Notice in verse 8 also it says that they were to eat it with bitter herbs. And then in verse 14 we are told that it wasn't to be a one-off meal on Passover overnight, but rather it was to be a continuous, lasting ordinance 
that they would remember year after year. That's what it says in verse 14 there. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. You know, the Lord knew. He knew that as the children of Israel left Egypt that night, and as they crossed the Red Sea, and as they journeyed in the wilderness for 40 days, for 40 years rather, he knew that when they came into the land, and when they defeated all the armies that were in that land, and they'd taken possession of what God had promised to them, he knew that when they were sat down in their fine, luxurious mansions, enjoying the figs and grapes, munching on all the good things which God had given them, that they would forget their bondage. They would forget the blood of the lamb and the slaughtering of, 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 of the innocent lamb. And so the bitter herbs would speak to them and remind them of the bitterness of their bondage. It would remind them that they were once a nation of slaves. And we can see straight away the parallel with the Christian life here. These bitter herbs are, are a picture of the, the Christian life. They're, they're, we were brought from darkness. We were brought from bondage. And there was bitterness. Some Christians I've met have gone through a, a terrible life of sin before God intervenes in his mercy and grace in their life. One of them is my father-in-law. And one of the things as I, as I talked to him about being a Christian and some, some of the things of his whole life, as you talk to these people, you, you, you learn one thing. The thing that promised pleasure always had a sting. You cannot carry on sinning without feeling the bitterness of sin. You cannot abuse drugs or, or, or alcohol without feeling some of the, the bitterness that that lifestyle brings. A life separated from God always produces bitterness and unhappiness deep within and a lack of peace. And they were to take these bitter herbs on that night and it would remind them of what life was like before God had redeemed them from slavery. We need reminding ourselves, don't we? You know, the longer I'm a Christian, the more easily I forget and take for granted what God has done for me. How thankful we should be, the bitterness the emptiness of life without Christ. Sometimes I often think, what would my life be like if I wasn't a Christian? I can't imagine that. It's like a nightmare, isn't it? For each one of us, the path that we might have gone down and God, not in his, his mercy and grace, intervened in my life, saved me. The pain, the, the bitter herbs were a reminder. And it, it's so amazing how easily God's people forget when they got away from Egypt and the bondage became a distant thing, they started to moan, didn't they? Oh, if only we were back in Egypt. That's what it says in the book of Exodus. If only we were back in Egypt with, with all the things we've had there, with, with, with slavery and our masters and our whips, and, and they forgot how painful it was. It's so amazing how quickly we can forget the hardship and the distress of life without Christ. And so the Passover was a, a, a remembrance, a reminder, a lasting ordinance. And then it says they were to take bread made without yeast or leaven. Leaven in the Bible is always a picture of evil. When you read about leaven in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, God always uses it 
as a picture for sin. And in Exodus, the leaven would speak of that old lifestyle they were leaving behind. Turn with me, please, to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Don't worry if you haven't got your Bible. It will come up on the screen. Keep your finger in Exodus chapter 12. In this New Testament passage, he is going to apply something of the teaching that we see here in Exodus chapter 12. It says this. It says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In these verses, Paul is instructing them to take action against evil. He tells them to purge out that old leaven so that they will be like a new batch of dough made without leaven as they position they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are truly saved and in Christ here this morning, then we are unleavened in him. We are, we are justified, we are saved, and our behavior should be unleavened. There should be no evil, but there is, isn't there? And Paul instructs them to purge or, or get rid of the old leaven, this, this uh, evil, this, this leaven, so that they may be in practice what they are in position, pure unrighteous, accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul is writing, his mind goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Do you know what they would do there? According to the uh, commentator, William MacDonald, at the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread, the Jew would go into the house and they would go to the kneading trough. That's where they would make the bread. And what they would do is they would clear all the bread out and they would throw it out. They would get it out of the house and then they would get a brush and some soap and some water and they would scrub that kneading trough until every speck of leaven was removed because it was a picture of evil. Next, they would go into the kitchen and they would clean the cupboards where, where the bread was kept and they would scrub again and they would get rid of every fragment, every piece of bread. They would clean it out and get it out of the house. Next, they would go into the rest of the house and they would do the same thing again. He would get a lamp and he would go around and he would search for any little pieces of leaven that was left. And if they were there, he would scrub, they would clean, they would essentially spring clean the whole house. And then, just in case there was a tiny speck left that he had missed, he would lift up his hands like this. And am I glad that I've got a jacket on right now? It's so hot up here. <laughs> he would say this, he'd say, Oh God, I have cast out all leaven from my house, and if there is any leaven that I do not know of, with all my heart, I cast it out too. You know what, it's a wonderful picture of us as we come to our quiet time with the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in 1 John 1, 9, doesn't it? It says, if we, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we have confession of sin. But the psalmist says this, creating me a clean heart, O God. And you know, we can go to God and we can fall on our knees. And like the, the Jew there with the leaven, we can cast our, our arms to God and say, God, I know there are things in my life that, are, that I, I know are offensive to you. And I have no idea what they are because you're dealing with all this other stuff that I'm dealing with at the moment. 
Oh Lord, I, I confess that too. Make me pure and spotless. And he will. He is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Exodus chapter 12, we also see that the Lord's meal is a meal for believers. The Passover meal was for those who had a share in redemption. The Passover meal was for those who had been delivered. It was for those who were sheltering behind the blood of the Lamb. They had been redeemed. They were the Lord's. And so in the same way too, the Lord's Supper or the breaking of bread is for those who believe. As we see these great things, they, they point us towards Christ, our Passover Lamb. His blood shed for our forgiveness. His body broken for us. This is, this is what we remember as we take the ambulance. Just, just a little bit of bread, isn't it? Just a little bit of wine, just a little bit of juice. Simple elements. But to the heart of faith, they speak such tremendous things that Christ has done for us. Things that we dare not take for granted and we will be breaking bread soon. And because of our memories, God knows that we need a reminder to come, sit around the bread and wine, meditate on the Lord Jesus Christ, and his goodness to us, and remember him. It's a wonderful provision, isn't it? And it's so bad that I often treat it so lightly. God is saying, this is for you. This is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, my love for you, my death for you, my agony for you, my blood shed, my body broken. Do this in remembrance of, the, of me. I love you. Do this in remembrance of me. I am the one who saved you. And I find it so easy to get wrapped up with life and get caught up in the things of this world. And I forget that at the heart of my life is the, the shedding of blood, the laying down of the life of our dear Savior who endured the agony of Calvary for me. Coming back to Exodus chapter 12, we'll be wrapping this up soon. It says this in verse 11. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now turn with me, please, to, to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read just a few verses there. It says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Look at verse 19 there. Can you just leave it up on the screen? That would be great. Look at verse 19. Do you agree with me? that the Apostle Paul could have turned round and said that we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. That would be correct, wouldn't it? Do you agree? He would be completely theologically and doctrinally correct to just leave it at that. We have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. So why does he go on in verse 19 to add that phrase there as of a lamb 
without blemish and without spot. Why does he add, it's a simile, isn't it? It's a simile. Why does he add that simile? Well, because by that simile, he evokes in our minds all this imagery of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. It is the theological correct fact that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. But Peter, by this simile, reminds us of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is performing for us all of the function of the Passover lamb. And through this simile in 1 Peter chapter 19, 1 verse 19, our minds are drawn all the way back to Exodus chapter 12. And this is what we see there. The Jew couldn't eat it uh, at the Passover, any old how. There were certain regulations that he had to do. One of the things he had to do was he had to eat it with his loins girded, staff in hand, shoes on their feet. Loins girded, what on earth does that mean, loins girded? Well, in the ancient world, they certainly didn't have spandex, um, uh, Nike track pants and jackets and running shoes and all these things. So according to the commentators, the experts, what people would do is when they wanted to walk, when they wanted to work, is they would take their outer robes and they would wrap them up around their legs and they would tuck them into a belt that was worn around their waist. And it, 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 in this way, they, they were freely able to walk, to, to move, to work without tripping over the hem of the outer cloak. And so why must they eat it with their loins girded, staff in hand, shoes on their feet? Can you imagine that? You know when you go to some of these banquets sometimes and it's really awkward, right? You know, you've got like, you know, you're drinking one hand, you've got a plate in the other and it's your shoes, wine, dine, whatever you want to call it. And you, you, you meet somebody you know, you're like, oh, what do I do? with the plate. It's like you're trying to balance. Somebody made one of those brilliant plates. Have you seen them? It's got a little cup holder on the side. Absolutely fantastic. You can all hold everything in your hand and go around and introduce yourself. Everything is good. But the Jew, he had to stand there. He had to loins girded, staff in hand, shoes on his feet, and he's got to try and eat this roast lamb meal stood up. Why on earth did he do that? Because to eat the Passover in this way implied that you were prepared to leave Egypt immediately and start journeying towards your inheritance. And if you weren't prepared to journey towards your inheritance, then you couldn't eat the Passover. They had to be prepared to journey immediately and to keep on journeying until they came into their inheritance. Back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says this, If you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ as of a lamb, then what? Gird up your, your loins? No, gird up the loins of your mind. Why? Well, because we have some journeying to do as well, don't we? To an inheritance, undefiled, incorruptible, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us, for those who are kept through faith by the power of God for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so Peter goes on to tell us that we are not only redeemed, but what about the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ? And so we see the Passover was a meal for pilgrims, for pilgrims. The, the way that they were to eat it would remind them that they were a pilgrim people who would always be on the move. Am I living on earth as a pilgrim? Do we really see this life as passing? You know, the danger is, is that we soak up the spirit of this age where, where everyone is staying here for all eternity, aren't they? We're building our empires here, aren't we? But the Bible tells us that we're just passing through this life. 
We've just seen in 1 Peter that we are called to be pilgrims on a journey. Elsewhere in the scripture, in the New Testament, it likens us to, to soldiers in a conflict. Or elsewhere to athletes training, straining, striving for the crown. And yet the atmosphere in which we live says this is life. All that matters is from the cradle to the grave. So just enjoy yourself. Just have a good time. Eat, drink, and be merry, for this is it. I I personally feel the pull of it so much in my life. And that is why we're often so disillusioned with life, isn't it? If we are looking for fulfillment in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, we we won't get it. If we are looking for fulfillment in in our money, in our possession, in our things, we won't get it. If we are looking for fulfillment in our careers, in position, in these things, we won't get it. There will be tremendous emptiness because we are asking too much of it. God has given us a family as a blessing, as a comfort. Relationships, community, fellowship, food, clothing, money, all these things are blessings to be used for his glory and, for, uh, uh, and to bring us comfort. Yet all these things that are blessings, they're not the ultimate thing, are they? They are not the ultimate picture. They, they are helps along the way. And if these things become the purpose of our life, if they become ultimate rather than Jesus, then we will be miserable, dissatisfied people. We are a pilgrim people. We are soldiers. We are athletes. We are training. We are straining and striving. Does this capture my lifestyle? Have I girded up the loins of my mind? Am I a pilgrim person? Or am I seeking the heaven here and now? Am I ready to leave and go right now? Or am I hanging on to the things which I love here? Let's remember this week to continually look to Christ, our Passover lamb, and remember that his shed blood and righteousness is the way we take our stand against the evil one. We are going to do that right now as we share communion together. I'm going to invite the team to come back up. Thanks, Mel and Scott, for making this possible again. I know you're thinking, we only broke bread two weeks ago. You're right, we did. We normally break bread on the, uh, on the first Sunday in every month. I just thought it would be a nice way to wrap 